Hello dreamers and welcome to episode 3 of The Deep Dive, the show where we dedicate each episode to a particular topic relating to what is affectionately known as the golden age of gaming. I'm Rich, one half of your co-host duo, and joining me is a man who I consider in many ways to be the Patrick Moore to my Dominic Diamond, the Violet Berlin to my Andy Crane, it's Steve. How you doing Steve? (laughs) I'm great, thank you. I'm even better now that I've had that uh, introduction. (laughs) My pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) So you're all probably wondering right now, uh, where's Andrew? Um, well, we've not one, but two very special guests on this episode. First on the sofa is retrospective contributor and also the editor of the book, Dreamcast Year One. It's Matt Gardner. How you doing, Matt? Not so bad. Lovely to be here and lovely to speak to you again and see your lovely face on my computer. Thank you very much. Can't see your face, but I'm sure it's very lovely. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> <laughs> And our second guest is uh, maybe a little less special by contrast. Uh, you've heard him on this podcast countless times before. He is the captain of the Dreamcast Year's ship and esteemed author of Dreamcast Year One. It's Andrew Dickinson. How are you doing, Andrew? Hello, I'm good, thank you. I feel like I need to salute after being called the captain of the ship, but um, <laughs> yeah, you can't see me because I've not got my camera on either. So I'll just Everyone's pretend hiding. I'm saluting right now. <laughs> That's all right. So anyways, yeah, so... Uh, at the time of recording, uh, yeah, digital copies of the book are winging their way to all those lovely backers on Kickstarter. And Andrew, I do believe your house is fit to burst from hundreds upon hundreds of physical copies being stored inside. Is that true? Uh, no idea where I'm going to put them all. Uh, but yes, <laughs> by the time this goes out, there will be hundreds of books everywhere. Um, yeah, that's going to be fun. <laughs> lovely, lovely. But anyway, yeah, so I guess it begs the question, really... Um, how does it feel that the book is about to find its way into the hands of the masses? Oh, a bit, I don't know, it's a bit scary. Uh, so it's that whole, um, I was speaking to um, the guy we've had on the podcast before, Dan Ward from the Switch Island. I was speaking to him last night about it as it kind of, they kind of went out. Uh, the digital copies went out last night and uh, Dan and I are often found playing Fortnite. So we were playing Fortnite last night yeah. and uh, <laughs> just kind of discussing uh, it having gone out to everybody. And it's. I was saying it's almost like imposter syndrome. It's like, I, I don't feel like... Um, mm. I, I've done this. It's like I, people are going to find out that it's it, that something's not right, or you, you know, you know what I mean. It's <laughs> it's like, uh, um, so I've, I've kind of got that at the moment. But uh, so far, I've had some nice feedback from people. Um, so feeling a little bit less imposterish um, and a little more proud of it. Uh, so yeah, just a bit weird overall. I think yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I guess we kind of want to go back to the beginning, really. I mean. Mm. To both of you, really, this question goes out to, were you guys already good friends and, and associates, or were you brought together by this uh, rather exciting book? We were, I mean, we were brought together by it. Matt, I'm struggling to remember now, how did we come across each other? Was it because you backed the book, or is it because I found you on Twitter? I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to recall was, now. So my, my memory of it, um, uh, going back, is that... Uh, Obviously, me running Game Trip, a Game Trip is actually very similar in a sense to what you were uh, going for with yeah. the book. Um, the whole idea that you could chip in, you could do retrospectives. It was all about kind of that memory, that very personal memory. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd just come off the back of editing a couple of books myself for um, friends. Because I'm a writer um, uh, in a, as, a day, as a day job, um, specifically as an editor as well. Um, I, I've spent a lot of time doing that. And I like getting involved in things that... 
obviously as part of a community that I'm in. I'd seen Andrew tweeting about it, and obviously the Dreamcast, it's an, it's an odd one for me, because the Dreamcast is probably the console I know the least about. Mm. So it was that whole idea of the, the, the fear of the unknown, but also just this overwhelming desire to learn more. And uh, having spoken to Andrew uh, very briefly, uh, I just decided, because... I'd, I'd finished sub-editing the book. I was still getting on with my work with uh, Game Tripper and working real life and all that. And uh, I just wanted to be part of it. He just seemed like a really nice guy. And it was really close to actually closing in. I think it was still about £1,500 short of the target by that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it had raised, uh, what was it, 3500 I think it was a target for 5000 uh, I think it was six, six thousand was the top. Six thousand. Yeah. So it, it had been in the in the low four thousands at that point, and uh, and it was kind of like we were just trying to get it over the line because it was getting quite you know close to the the deadline, mm-hmm. um, and it was kind of like a sprint finish. And I just thought, well, I'll I'll throw my uh, few quid into the pot, and also you know um, if you want, uh, I'm more than happy to you know uh, sub edit everything that you've got. Um, it was it, it was after that that I learned just how extensive the book was and how much research went into it, um, and it, it became less of a me thinking, oh, I'll, I'll get a copy of it at the end, and I'll you know I'll whisk through it in a couple of hours, and no, it was uh, it was the beginning of a, a six month love affair, not only with Andrew himself, but with the uh, with with the book and the Dreamcast, and it was just it, yeah, it was it was just kind of like a very uh, quiet beginning, so to speak. Um, mm. And uh, I mean, I can't remember how long ago it was actually, Andrew. Um, was it? it would have been like the Kickstarter finished at the very start of April, so we mm, probably started speaking in March, I think. Yeah, that'll have been so, about right. Yeah, so that's nearly a year now because we're recording this at the start of February, so almost a year since uh, since all that began, which is feels like a lifetime ago actually. Now though, <laughs> thinking about yeah. it, it's a long time. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, it was, so... Uh, Go on, sorry. So, so Matt, you, you didn't know a lot about the Dreamcast before starting this, but presumably you've learned a heck of a lot more about it now. Um, the Dreamcast itself has kind of a, a, a cult following, um, surprisingly so, considering it's a console that was so short-lived and existed such a long time ago now. Um, did either of you find it quite intimidating, the idea that you sort of had to get this book right because obviously the, the, the fan base of the Dreamcast knows their stuff and, and they're very passionate about it. So, you know, how did that factor into the to the process for me that facts in <laughs> hugely yeah. um i i know i know the, the the fan base fairly well you know i've kind of been I, i've never been hugely into the fan base and you know i've not been hugely involved in the fan base but i know mm. of it i kind of follow a lot of the sites and um and you know personally having having been involved in it back in the day when i worked on dreamcast source um i know that people are very uh particular about it um and when I first started doing everything to do with the book, I was kind of like in my own little world going, oh yeah, this is just a nice little project I can do. And when I started opening it up and showing people what I was doing and kind of letting them know that there'd be a Kickstarter, mm-hmm. um, it quickly became clear that people were very uh, fond of the Dreamcast and they were a bit, you know, they were very protective over it and, yeah. and what people said about it and, um, and and how they represented it. So it was... Yeah, it's always been a bit of a an issue for me, and especially because it, like I say, it's it's so long ago. It's over twenty years ago now that the Dreamcast came out. Um, so part of that as well was for me was getting it right in terms of accuracy, because this is fair enough. It was it was still in the information age. We did have the internet, but it was in the infancy of the internet. Yeah. So a lot of the information that was available, it's just really 
it's it's sparse and it's mm-hmm. um inaccurate and there's just i mean in particular the release dates of games um, and yeah. i've spoken to um, a gentleman called mike Phelan over at the dreamcast junkyard uh, he wrote a bit of a collector's book for the dreamcast which is just listing all of the dreamcast games that ever came out uh, what additions there were things like that so he did a very simple take on um you know dreamcast book it's, it's great it's you know it's exactly what you want if you if you're a collector for the dreamcast which there are plenty of collectors now um and he he told me the other day he purposefully steered clear of putting any release dates in because it was so <laughs> difficult to find wow. the correct ones um and i came across that like i i think i made a post the other day about how there were 19 launch games for the dreamcast um uh, it's like you know it's, it's thinking thursdays on on twitter uh, hashtag it's thinking thursdays um so i posted about that and asking people what their favorite launch games were and very quickly somebody posted back saying actually there are only 12 launch titles <laughs> which sent me into Liar. absolute panic mode because like fuck's sake, i've been researching this for like a year <laughs> i'm confident yeah. this and i had to i had to research again i had to go and like do it all again so <clears throat> yeah it it's there's definitely like a bit of a a, a weight and a burden on you for making sure mm-hmm. you get things accurate mm-hmm. especially when you're doing something physical as well because this is something that people are actually going to hold I, I can't change it yeah. either i can't change it once it's in somebody's hands that's what they have it's not like the internet where i could make an amendment to it or whatever that's it it's it's done so i had to yeah. make sure i was being really really accurate and and that was much more difficult than i anticipated it to be because even if it was like a magazine there's always another issue next month where you can correct it but a book yeah. it's just final it's just I, I can't imagine the stress of that that just sounds overwhelming it does really sound horrible yeah. I, th- I think from my perspective as well actually just to add to what he was saying i mean um f- from an editorial perspective um, it's not only just getting the facts right in the first place, it's also getting the logic correct too, uh, mm. from just from a simple grammar, spelling, punctuation kind of way. Mm. Now, obviously, um, the love of not only Andrew's work um, for the console, um, but all the other contributors, there was a lot of that kind of making sure that you didn't, uh, you made sure that the content worked as hard as possible, but it didn't edit out any, uh, you know, uh, accuracies or anything it didn't make mm. it any less true um obviously the release date is a really interesting one um because i i found this out really early on in the process because andrew was putting together his tweets for the dcy account where mm. it was like a, a fact for every day now he sent it across to me certain days that were missing and i was kind of like oh this is a quite exciting I have three, four websites, you know, your game FAQs, your Moby games, all those kind of data resources, and then obviously Dreamcast specialist sites. And you realise straight away, even when you cross-compare it with Wikipedia as well, that everybody, the dates are ridiculous. Like, it is, it's, it varies as much as a month to two months. And I think that, obviously, the guy who um, you mentioned there on Twitter who fed back was going off a of memory. Um, mm. But my first thing that I said to Andrew when he when he showed me the tweet was that you know you can't necessarily trust the memory either because there's a lot of memories I have of say the PlayStation mm. era um, where I was like I could have sworn I bought my Hoffman's Pro BMX on X date and then realised it didn't come out until like a year and a half after <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing with my life you know um, but I think that um, uh, you, you are right there's a, the era between 1998 and maybe about 2003. There seems to be a real dearth of of hard facts about release dates and things like that, and especially yeah. for a console that barely had any coverage because of the very nature of the Dreamcast. The, the you know the fact that it it was both an incredible success and a massive flop for Sega. 
that there wasn't many people covering that. And I remember, obviously, uh, Andrew going through dates and books, going off magazines saying, oh, this is going to be released next month, this is going to be released, whatever. But then, obviously, we'd be talking about certain things in the book where a magazine had said that it was going to get released and then it didn't ever get released. So there was a lot of trust in certain sources and then just being able to take that step back and go, well, actually, this is the best we can do, you know, holding our hands up and going, you know, we're not going to be perfect, but at least we're going to get it as correct as we possibly can. Yeah. So that was that was my aim, quite frankly. Yeah, and... Uh... Another, another thing about the dates, a couple of interesting facts that I, well, I, I found interesting, whether the listeners will find them interesting is another matter. Um, <laughs> the, one of the games that I originally started off with as one of the ones I wanted to write a retrospective about was uh, Sega Bass Fishing, because it's such a big Sega game. You know, it's a, it's just a, a Sega game in, in italics. You know, in, in capital letters, it just screams <laughs> yeah. Sega. Um, and I thought that would be a great one um, until... I started doing the research and Wikipedia had said that it launched within the time frame that the book was set during. Um, and as I went through, it was like, oh, okay, no, it actually it got delayed. And so I checked and then it's just like, oh, no, but it got delayed again. And this is all through me looking at magazines and checking for reviews and checking online. So Wikipedia had one date, which was completely wrong. And you go through the magazines and the magazine will say, oh, we don't have a re- review for you this time because it's been delayed again. We'll review it next time. And then you'll go back. And in the end, it didn't get released until April 2000, which is after the cutoff for the book. So I was like, oh, shit. So I had to, oh, had to take that out um, oh. and then put a new a new retrospective in which I got backers to vote on but even weirder was um you know I was going through all the dates making sure they were correct there was one game that no matter where I looked had no release date at all and I know it came out because I've actually owned it at one point so it's a game that actually released um I've seen it um which is um Legacy of Kane Soul Reaver for the Dreamcast oh right but there's no release date anywhere and the only thing that's I could really find surprising. that was close to, that's, yeah it's really weird um, the only thing that I could find close to release date was uh, an, an issue of DC UK where it got reviewed and it said out now um, cool. and I've checked and the <laughs> magazine got released on the 18th of uh, 18th of February and all the vague release data pointed to around February March online so I was like right okay well if it's out now um, I'm going to take the date the magazine released which also happened to be a Friday as the release date of the game um, and that's what I had to stick with because there's actually no other firm release date for it anywhere i could look anywhere i could find which is just bizarre god that sounds um <laughs> that sounds very annoying i mean obviously the, the 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 lack of decent information on the internet is obviously a production challenge but mm-hmm. on the other side of it i think it also just further legitimizes the need for for some kind of solid like a, a physical book which you can refer to to uh to mm. learn this kind of information because it's just surprisingly difficult to come across on the internet in in a, in a similar kind of vein then did you through making this book did you learn anything else about the dreamcast <clears throat> excuse me that surprised you obviously you're a big fan before you started this and that's why you mm-hmm. did the book but through this process i'm i'm interested to hear about what sort of things you learnt that you didn't know beforehand that you found quite surprising uh that's a that's a good question um so the the interviews are the the things i found out most through like uh, a lot of the stuff when i was researching for the story section of the book i already knew or i vaguely knew um one factoid that kind of surprised me was the fact that there was a stabbing outside of a croydon branch of electronics boutique (laughs) on launch night yeah (laughs) i was that was going to be the first thing i'd have said as well actually (laughs) that feels like every video game launch i swear every time a console comes out someone gets accosted (laughs) 
yeah uh yeah it's 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 almost just like life in britain you will get stabbed at a console launch wasn't, uh, it, wasn't it a girl wasn't it a girl that did the stabbing as well a 16 year old yeah. girl yeah oh amazing yeah so that was that was an interesting tidbit um but yeah it was i mean there was little bits like that that i found out which was which was really interesting um and I kind of rediscovered a lot of information. You know, you know, you like, you like, you knew information, and because you hadn't thought about it for so long, and then you read about yeah. it, and it kind of comes back, and you go, "Oh, I forgot that was the case." So there was a lot of that, but stuff that I genuinely didn't know um, was uh, a lot of it came from uh, Bernie Stolar. Um, so he kind of very kindly agreed to be interviewed by us um, through his uh, associate Jordan Freeman, who's a lovely guy, um, and basically what he you know he gave me an interview it was it was a nice interview um i had some very specific questions but you know he was able to confirm things like the fact that uh, the reason why he left sega which has always been a little bit of a you know it, mm. it's never been 100 percent fact anywhere it's always been rumored why he left um he confirmed that he did go against sega of japan and, and you know dropped the price of the uh, console on launch um there's all sorts of things i mean the, the things that were that were known about but they weren't confirmed which were cool yeah. but then there was stuff like um what did he say what did he tell me like um the fact that they were actually considering putting not just a modem in the dreamcast but also an internal storage and a dvd drive and that the only reason they couldn't do is because they were because sega was so in the shit financially that they just couldn't afford to put them all in and so that's something i don't think i knew before and i was like oh shit <laughs> if they could have put all that stuff in that the, the Dreamcast could have been, you know, I, I think that that could have been a, a game changing console. I mean, it was a game changing console as it was, but it could have stuck around and it could have helped Sega turn their fortune around. Um, but yeah, there you go. That's, that's one thing. One thing yeah, I mean, uh, already ahead of its time um, as it was, the Dreamcast. Can you imagine how much more ahead of the time uh, it could could have been? That's really, yeah, that's yeah. Really surprising. Matt, Matt, how do you? Obviously, you've come from a place of not really knowing that much about it beforehand. How do you feel about the Dreamcast now? Are you running out to try and find one on eBay? Uh, I actually, I actually own two now. Would you believe? Um, oh, great. So um, <laughs> prior to um, uh, very, very. Um, Slightly prior to getting involved in the project, um, there was a guy that has a contributor to the game tripper called uh, James Reese, who's one of the nicest mm-hmm. guys of all time, and he uh, got himself a refurbished Dreamcast, uh, and uh, as a result, his old Dreamcast, which was a little bit beaten up, but in particularly good nick, he just decided he goes, "Oh, you've been so kind to me and all that kind of stuff. I just want to send you a thank you." So, I'm like, okay, oh. and then and it just arrived just before, just after Christmas actually. So it was only a couple of months before I got involved in the project, and in it was uh, two controllers, a Dreamcast, uh, a load of like dodgy games. I, I'm still to, <laughs> I'm still to find out. Where, there's none of them are official, but I've got at least. 30 and apparently they're really easy to boot up because I think you just need a boot disc to do oh it. my gosh yeah. um, I know it's incredible um, uh, the good old days and then he gave me a, like a Mad Cats kind of I don't know if it's a rumble pack or something but then uh, the PS Resistance was um, a still un- in the box unopened with a little plastic tab in VMU wow. and it is in perfect nick. I've got it out once. I've never taken the tab out because I'm just like, it'll probably explode or fall apart like a clown car. <laughs> but um, it's it's absolutely phenomenal, obviously, finding out about the VMU as well uh, and, and all the stuff with uh, Power Stone in the book, which is probably my favourite bit, actually, because I, uh, I got the images off Andrew and I blew them up to size and then we had them all displayed. I'm like, God, it's such a tiny screen, but it, it, it 
offered so much so it's yeah, nice to have that little yeah. bit of game in history for, for completely free but then um, obviously we touched on uh, Jordan Freeman and, and Bernie Stoller uh, because of the contacts and, and the help that, that, that Jordan gave not only the book but um, a lot more actually and he's, he's, he's a lovely person um, he obviously put us in touch with Bernie and I learned a lot about what he's doing with the Zoom platform um, that he operates and very exciting kind of very different model of gaming and I actually wrote about them for Forbes and uh, oh, yeah. so there's a there's a, a long old profile on there it's one of, one of my uh, favourite interviews to do actually he's, he's really interesting dude and um, as a thank you much later on and it just kind of came out of the blue weren't expecting anything um, and uh, Andrew asked for my address and I was just like right okay and then suddenly lo and behold um, I get an American Dreamcast land on my doorstep signed by Bernie Stoller Amazing. Uh, signed to me so I have an American Dreamcast which obviously I can never use because of the, the power difference mm -hmm. but also I'd never want to use it because it's a display piece it's still in its box at the moment because I want to get a proper decent shelf for it um, but yeah, I have two Dreamcasts within <laughs> within the space of about <laughs> six months. Having never, having not played one in about fifteen years or whatever, you know, I'm just like my head's completely blown up. So yeah, it's it's honestly, it's easily the coolest looking console I've oh, ever sure. seen. I mean, yeah, yeah. the the controllers. I still maintain the controllers are some of the most comfortable things ever. Um, and uh, yeah, a bit like the GameCube almost. There's, there's a certain kind of you know independence about them. But uh, yeah, I think it's um, it, it really is just to bring it back to the book. Um, I wouldn't love the Dreamcast that I've got as much as I did if I hadn't have been for learning about it through Andrew and obviously seeing his passion for the console and really come through. I still think the strongest part of the book is the um, is the chapters that that um, Andrew drew. It was it. Uh, six chapters that you made Andrew yeah that's right mm -hmm. and honestly the just the storytelling through that there's so much to learn about it and I don't think I've, I've seen any resource I know obviously the Dreamcast Junkyard and, and a lot of those kind of resources do have that but to have it in such a clear and concise way and then to have the quotes from the likes of Bernie Stolar in there just to kind of really push it along I've I've never learned so much so quickly about one console, so it's uh, yeah, it's a, it's a beginning of a new love affair for me. I think. Great stuff, great stuff. How very how very wholesome. That's really nice. <laughs> um, yeah. So like, um, I'll just echo what Matt just said. Andrew, you talked about um, imposter syndrome earlier. You know, you're not you're not tricking anyone with this book. It's great. You've done a really really good job, and it's clear that you, you. Uh, it's yeah. clear that you're very passionate about the subject and that sort of leaps off the page at, page at you as you read it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the way the book looks. Um, mm. We talked about how the console was a very nice looking console. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when the Dreamcast first came out, it felt very, um, it had kind of like a classy feel to it. It felt like a games console for grown-ups, like a next-gen grown-up video games machine. And I think the book has the same kind of classy feel to it. And I'm interested to learn about how you came around to this to this really nice art style that you've got going mm. on here. Yeah. Um, so I guess to start with, it was... Um, so I'm trying to think where to start. <laughs> it was... Um, 
I got involved with the book in, in to begin with. I, I kind of came up with the idea because of a guy called Sandy Bry, who wrote um, PlayStation VT Year One. So the format of my book is based on his book. Um, he's kind of listed as the format creator in the book. He does the foreword. Um, fantastic guy. His books are great as well. So if you have any interest in the PlayStation Vita, they're well worth reading. Um, and he when i kind of went to him and said i want to do this book about the dreamcast in the format that you've created he was like yeah that's great fantastic and he put me in touch with the guy who um does the graphic design for his books which is a gentleman called uh, steve novakovich stone um he uh, he did a fantastic job on um sandeep's book they look uh, they look great mm. both books so far he's doing a third one currently um and so i was like fine great yeah um i'll go with steve and we'll we'll kind of get this done together and um the first thing that we kind of did was put together a, kind of a mock copy of the book um for kickstarter so i wrote a little bit of content um i got a few screenshots together from the internet i didn't take the original screenshots were just gathered i was like i'm gonna take my own later um so uh, and we gathered all this stuff and obviously it needed a cover um and he kind of sent me back this um uh, mock issue mock mock issue mock, mock book it was 16 pages long um and he just found a picture online to use for the cover that he thought was quite cool um it was just a placeholder and you know just to see how it would look in the you know what the front cover would look like um and it was by an illustrator called um eric pavick mm-hmm. and um he showed me this he had no intention for that to be the final cover um and i looked at it i took one look and i went that's that's amazing where did you find that picture um and he kind of showed me where he found it and uh, you know i got the details of the guy and i was like one thing that um so sandeep's book is uh heavy on screenshots obviously the good thing about the playstation vita is you can take screenshots mm. on the vita really easily and they blow up really well you can make big sized ones look great um and you know they have a lot of art, art assets they're in hd as well that you can use which is fantastic and they look phenomenal in the book um but for the dreamcast it's very different it's it's a it's an early 3d console you know it's fifth gen technically um so the kind of assets that you can get don't look fantastic blown up um and the other issue is i just didn't want to use um, photographs of the console all over the place in part because I knew that there was another book coming out called um, Dream, uh, The Collected Works, Dreamcast The Collected Works, which is an officially licensed book and that would be all about the um, you know the, the photographs of the console and mm. you know all that kind of stuff. So I, I wanted to be different from that. And so when I saw um, this image that he'd used on the front that Steve had used, I was like we could we could do that throughout you know we could use um we could get him to illustrate different parts of the console you know the controllers the um, vmus uh, we could get him to do um uh, illustrations for all the interviews so we can you kind of bring together aspects of what they talk about in the interviews into an image in, at, mm. at the start and all of the bits on the um the big retrospectives they all have their own illustration as well um and i just figured it would be amazing to have um this this art style throughout just something to bring it all, to bring it all together um to make it feel like a, a cohesive book um uh, and give it its own identity um and, and not just kind of almost steal the identity from from the yeah. dreamcast itself it, yeah. that, that, it's a weird thing to say but i wanted it to be its own thing um and and be different from other things that have come before um and i think that i think that that did that that comes through um and eric is absolutely fantastic he did all of the portraits as well so all all of us got a portrait done by eric um and they're all great um all the backers who contributed enough got a portrait done by him too Uh, i i just think he 
he captured the feeling of um, what we were going for in the book the first year of the Dreamcaster conception. It, it got captured really well, um, even down to the fact that... So we had the... Uh, we've got, obviously, on the front cover, we've got the Dreamcast itself, and that was something he he, he created before the book so it kind of existed before the book did um, everything else he created specifically for the book um the cover though he did change slightly so originally it had the orange logo on the dreamcast instead of the blue one so we changed that um and we put a power light on <laughs> i don't know why i was like <laughs> we need to have the power light on in the image um and yeah and, and that's all he changed for that so the original image is um very similar um but what i liked about it as well was the fact that You've got the Dreamcast, it's quite grey. Um, it's a grey colour, off-white. Um, and then you've got the blue logo on it. But then the background for it is this really vibrant, colourful orange, which is very, you know, it's very similar to the the Dreamcast orange swirl mm-hmm. on the Japanese and North American consoles. So it kind of... The, the point of the book is that it's more telling the story of the console in Europe and, and the UK. Um, but there is that element, the fact that it was created in Japan. Um, you know, it was created in North America as well. Both both countries had a big part in the creation of the console. Um, so it made sense for that orange colour to be throughout the book, even though we tell a European story. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I, kind of rambling on a bit, but basically, yeah, the, the, I think the artwork tells the story of the book uh, just the same as the words do it kind of gives this uh, this story that you can follow um and i'm i'm really happy with how steve laid it out and how eric did the art i think they've done a phenomenal job to get it to look how it looks and uh, and it's just a, a really nice clean design that i'm really i'm really pleased with yeah, yeah i mean ju- if i can just add to that actually just sorry very quickly mm. um this is by far the most beautiful book or anything really that i've been involved in i've written copy for websites and all kinds of stuff especially when websites have been redeveloped for big companies and nothing's ever compared to just how clinically well done this has been done um what i will say that my favorite part of the book in terms of imagery is um the casper field interview on the mm. intro of his everything that has been designed for each page always reflect what's being talked about and uh, obviously this mention of like uh, when he goes to Japan for example or a couple of boozy nights that's all reflected with you know chopsticks and a fish on there and things like that and it's just it's so wonderfully done it really is beautiful um, I just I, I can't believe how quickly he turned it around as well Mm. Um, I mean, I still kind of hold it against him that he put a big bag under my eye, um, but it's not—it's not necessarily because he was. I mean, it certainly isn't inaccurate. You know what I mean? I—I I, I think it was only that moment that I really came to terms with just how tired I look at 33 years old. You know, so never mind. But um, honestly, yeah, it's—it's it's real testament to the book. I think you know that as much as the words are important and they always are and i'm always going to say that because i'm a writer and an editor um the imagery is absolutely beautiful and the, the layout as well it got the absolute maximum out of out of the pages that we had available to us as well mm. that's awesome um yeah, you mentioned uh casper field um i was going to ask actually i mean obviously reading this book over the last seven days one of the things that's really like had quite an impact for me is how much it's taken me back to that age of reading print media when it's come to like mm. consoles and games and it really has transported me back to that time when I was collecting you know magazines whether it was Dreamcast magazines PlayStation N64 um how was it actually um speaking with Casper uh, and also Ed Lomas as well and do you think books like this are kind of carrying that torch now carrying the baton for the magazines that aren't necessarily 
relevant anymore you know in this like digital age mm. um i mean yeah weirdly so that one of the first things i did for this book was speak to casper so casper was when i decided to do the book which i think was kind of i think it was like august 2018 i think i was like i'm gonna wow. do this i'm gonna make this book um and <laughs> one of the first things i did was like figure out who the hell am i going to interview because um sandeep's uh, vita books have interviews in them and i was like i'm going to follow that format um pretty much to the letter um I, I did change some things in the end but i was i was kind of determined to be very similar in the format so i was like right who can i interview and i was like listing people and um I, because i knew i wanted to do a very european focus i was like okay well i could probably interview some american people if i wanted to but the likelihood of them coming back to me would be fairly slim i thought so i was like right so i'll find some developers maybe um i was trying to track down people who made uh, certain games that were developed in the uk or europe and one of the big things that kind of um kind of automatically came to me was i i used to love official dreamcast magazine i used to love dc uk uh, those were the best i think in my eyes those were the best gaming magazines that i've ever read um you know everybody's is different they have their own um magazine that they read like uh, tom charnock in the books that his was to uh, total control i think was his favorite magazine at the time yeah so everybody has their own um mine with those I, I honestly i i absolutely love them and at some point because uh, when i had a dreamcast it was kind of college time and by the time it had kind of been discontinued it was i was off to university um and unfortunately i think i left um one year to go to university came back for summer and my sister had cleared out my wardrobe and all of my dreamcast magazines had gone i was mad Shit. Um, <laughs> not only that my sambody amigo maracas had gone missing as oh, well dear. Yeah. oh gutted never That's... got another pair so gutted um you anyway. pay for those now as well <laughs> yeah especially if you get the original pal ones they're fucking ridiculous but uh, <laughs> anyway um, so i i kind of as part of this i ended up going and uh, getting more magazines i was like right i'm gonna do some research i found a guy on ebay who was selling a bunch of dcuk and OD, um, odm magazines um i actually went and met him in london he he met me to so i could get them from him in person and we had a, i can't remember where it was it was um kind of a station in the outskirts of london somewhere and did, he have a news, like... did he have a news pit with eye holes cut in it i wish that would be hilarious um, <laughs> but we met and um he just brought this bag full of dreamcast magazines and we stood outside the station for like half an hour chatting about dreamcast which was really cool Aww. and that was the first thing i did but then so that was the first thing technically the second thing i did was arrange to meet casper so i found out about casper um because i'd been looking through dc uk um and i kind of was researching him and it turned out he actually lived in brighton which is where i live um and he was running at the time he was running a, a video game developer called wish studios um who developed um that's you on the playstation 4 and knowledge is power so uh they've for unfortunately they closed down uh last year um so he's he's in between things at the moment um but at the time when i interviewed him he was he was there so i, I we arranged and we met up in in brighton at an ice cream parlor of all places um <laughs> and uh, i turned up with all of my dc uk magazines i didn't have all of them but i had like the first seven and then a, a random two from the back end of the run um and sat down with him i'd written all these questions out um i brought a dictaphone i had my phone on recording in case the dictaphone didn't work um and i did the whole proper journalist thing you know of actually interviewing mm. somebody in the in person um and i was really nervous because i'd never done anything like this before at all um it was really the, the very start of the book i hadn't even started thinking about kickstarter yet i didn't know how it was going to work but i knew i wanted to get some content 
and it seemed like a good place to start so yeah we just sat down he's such a lovely guy really really nice um we chatted for like i think it was like an hour and a half um he he came out to meet me in his lunch break so he was late back to work that day (laughs) Um, so we kind of sat there for an hour and a half like he was looking at all these old magazines that he'd not seen for ages like he hadn't dug these things out for years and years and years um and he was kind of reminiscing about it all which is fantastic there's so much so the, the final interview in the book is 10 pages including a couple of illustrations and um i think if we'd have put the entire interview in there without me because before even matt looked at it i edited i edited it down before even matt looked at it and i think there was something close to how many words were there it was like seven and a half thousand words that the interview was and we ended up cutting it down to two and a half Um, so there's loads more of that interview that exists Uh, whether or not that it's interesting or not is another matter i probably cut it out because it was superfluous um but yes, that was that was amazing, and um, he was the guy that then put me in touch with with Ed. Um, Ed, I didn't meet in person. We we kind of conversed via email, um, and I just sent him questions, and and he answered those questions. You know, I sent him follow up questions. Um, but yeah, Casper, lovely guy, fantastic. Uh, we just had such a nice time reminiscing about the Dreamcast as well, and um, you know, just remembering lots of things from the time and. Uh, and then yeah he put me in touch with ed ed put me in touch with david so it was like a rolling <laughs> a rolling thing it was like a snowball that kind of they led on to each other so the three interviews in the book for the magazine people um they all led on so it was casper who led me to ed ed led me to um david and yeah that's how it went but yeah it was it was great and i, I think your last question there rich was whether you think that um the book kind of carries the torch now for those kind of magazines uh i i I guess so. I, I like the fact that you uh, you kind of got that feeling of those old magazines when you read through it, uh, that it gave you that feeling. Uh, and I think that's kind of, that, that's definitely the point of it is that, you know, it's it's having that physical thing in your hand and it's reading about something that you love, that, you, that you're really passionate about uh, and having it in that one place in front of you, all the visuals, um, all these facts and stuff that you might not have known about before and interviews with people who you like that's the kind of thing you would look for in you know in your old things you'd look for all this information that you didn't know that you couldn't find out anywhere else um, because the, the internet was in its infancy and you just didn't have that place to find it before um and i think almost that's that's what the book is now the internet's there sure but like we said before a lot of the facts and information are, are really scattered and and, and mm. not correct and difficult to find so it has all of that stuff in one place for you um and the fact that it contains so much about print media itself in the book as well is I think it's really nice because magazines in the day were were fantastic, and I and I really do miss those days of yeah. of having those dedicated mm. console magazines. They were great. You used to have an actual connection because I remember when I actually came back from um, town with my mum to I brought mm. back my Dreamcast that morning, yeah, the pre order, and actually mm. had it would have been an actual issue one. I think of the official magazine was laying in the porch. I've I'd already subscribed to it, and yeah. it was there waiting for me, and it was just. The timing of having the magazine the same day as I had the console, it was just awesome. things you don't get that with the internet. It, there's no like emotional attachment to a website. I mean, mm. Might be for some people, maybe especially people that build websites. But I just yeah, I, I miss those days. So having this having this book in my hands, it really did kind of transport me back to a you know a better, more simpler time. So <laughs> I, that I really really appreciate. So no, thank you for that. Thank you. That's really nice. <laughs> oh. Um, so were there any actual people that you did reach out to that didn't obviously make it to the book anyone you would have wanted to have spoken to and included um, 
I think I tried to reach out to a couple of developers. Um, I'm trying to remember now, it was so long ago. I, I think I made initial efforts to see if I could find somebody from No Cliche to talk about Toy Commander. Um, but I don't think that led me anywhere. I was really, it was really difficult. Um, you know, p- people from back then, uh, I d- it's very difficult to track those people down unless they still do things today. Um, and even then it's difficult. I think I did find somebody who, I think they helped develop Incoming or Expendable, one of those two games uh, from Rage Software. Um, and I found them on like LinkedIn as well. I actually contacted them through LinkedIn, but they never got back to me. So I was quite disappointed. Um, but yeah, other than that, it was once I kind of found Casper and then he led me to Ed, it was kind of like, oh, the, the magazine part of that is because uh, originally it was it was going to be uh, Casper, Ed <clears throat> and Tom. And they were the only interviews I was going to have in the book uh, when the Kickstarter began. That's that's all I had in mind. Uh, and it wasn't until it wasn't until later on that we got um bernie and then david involved um but the very beginning yeah developers would have been great but it was just it's difficult to track down and only now in fact have i even got a contact with a developer at all um because of this book i um kind of have a contact with uh, one of the producers of headhunter um that was released 2000 end of 2001 so with any luck fingers crossed if we get to year three <laughs> which i hope we will um fingers crossed there'll be an interview with um with him hopefully so yeah Watch Spoiler. the space, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So uh, just on the uh, on that subject, uh, I know mm. you've literally just completed um, this book, and obviously we were in contact all all the time, Andrew. And I know that it's, it has been quite taxing at times. So maybe not the mm. question you want to be asked right now. But um, <laughs> what about what about year two? And uh, if that is on the cards, uh, Matt, are you back? Are you back on board to do that one as well? I mean, it'd be rude not to. Quite frankly, wouldn't it? I think it's. Uh, <laughs> I, th- I I already feel like I've been taken on a lovely journey, um, and I've I've really enjoyed uh, the uh, you know just just the friendship that's kind of developed from it uh, with with Andrew. Um, he's he doesn't take the piss. He's not too demanding. He's um, he's ex- he's an excitable young chap at times. Um, obviously, <laughs> with so, with so, with so many developments and things like that, you know. And he's uh, obviously with me with my role generally, obviously. I'm naturally the first port to call for a lot of things, so it's it's quite nice actually. You know, it's one of those things that you know I might get a message at you know later on in the evening or at the beginning of the day kind of thing, and just be like, it would just be something new, something exciting that's happening, or you know, or something that needs doing. You know, it's it's quite nice to just jump on the project and just be like, right, okay, what needs doing? Um, I, admittedly, I, I think I did um, frustrate <laughs> Andrew a few times because what I tend to do is just let him kind of build up all the requests and then I'd just spend an entire Thursday night like literally sub-editing about half the book and then going <laughs> right it's your fucking problem now mate and then just <laughs> leave it with that but um but at the same time it is honestly it's um being involved in year two I'm actually I'm I, I actually know I don't know anything about year two that's the whole thing like I've learned everything about year one from doing year one so if I'm going to learn any more about the Dreamcast, then I'm going to have to get involved in year two. <laughs> um, and it's, uh, I mean, I've already, I've already learned a lot just from obviously having to do the research, just to double check everything, make sure everything's like on point. Um, but the, uh, yeah, the, the book, the way this has turned out, there can't not be a year two, in my opinion. And I really hope that we, we continue and, and complete the trilogy or quadrilogy or however it works out, to be honest. <laughs> yeah for for me as well i think um 
I put it in the back of the book coming soon year two so mm. it's it's something I definitely want to do um <laughs> it's yeah I, I think that the idea is there um I've started to do some really basic planning for it um I definitely uh, like you said it was a lot of work and we've got to the point where actually this is probably where most of the work is because now I've yeah. got to ship the physical books out yeah. which is going to take me a long time uh, and uh, I mean fair enough that the writing and the research was a lot of work but there was a lot of fun in that as well because it, it was exciting to me it was interesting to me um, sticking labels to, to envelopes is, is the dull part of the job <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to getting it out to people I'm really looking forward to having it in their hands but I think once that's out of the way um, once the books are out uh, the physical books are out um, I'll probably start to more seriously um, kind of consider what year two is going to be um, and, and when that's going to happen. So yeah, I'd say I think it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's just a case of of when at this point and um, and kind of what shape it's going to take because uh, it's it's so early on in uh, in the ideas process, I suppose. Excellent. Well, fingers crossed. Mm, absolutely. I, th- I think with the support that the first book's got already and the way, you know, some of the feedback that I've heard already, I think it's not going to be, I'm not going to say it's not going to be a hard task. I'm sure it's going to be very hard for you doing year two. Um, mm. But having that level of support and obviously if you want people to contribute again with like, a bit more retrospectives, I think, yeah, it's just going to be, I mean, I'm looking at the retrospectives now in year one and I'm just seeing that all come together, the personal accounts. I think mm. you're going to have more of the same in year two, and I think it's going to be even more of a celebration in that book than it will be in this one. I mean, especially as it, spoilers, but it kind of is the last year of the Dreamcast proper, so it's going to be more of a <laughs> more of a celebration, not just kind of an insight. It's going to be kind of that lasting legacy of it, more of a tip of the hat, you know, just kind of, I'm not going to say a farewell, because people are still playing it today, but it's, it's going to read yeah. more poignant, I think. It's going to make for some really, really compelling reading. I hope so. Yeah. Um, I think the point you made there as well about people um, being more uh, willing to back when they've seen year one, that's something I'm looking forward to because that's something that, uh, not that I had trouble with, but the, the first, the, the Kickstarter that I did, so when I went to Kickstarter in March, I've never written a book before. Um, so yeah. I was kind of going to Kickstarter huh. going, I want money uh, for you to, to, to support me to write this book. Um, I've never written anything. The only thing that people could actually see of mine written was on dreamcastsource.co.uk, which was my writings as a 16-year-old um, when I very much liked to use capital letters and exclamation marks. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I was basically saying, you know, here's here's a little sample of the writing I do now. Um, but also, if you ever look for me online, you'll find this uh, terrible writing about the Dreamcast that I did 20 years ago. Um so this time around, you know, people will actually be able to see it. There'll be feedback about the book. People will be talking about it, hopefully. And they'll actually see that, yeah, I, I, I can I can do this. And therefore, you know, there'll be more of a, a confidence that year two will be... It, it'll be less of a punt, I suppose, is what I'm saying. You know, people won't be taking a punt <laughs> yeah. on me and hoping it turns out all right. They'll see that, actually, I've, I've, I can do it. And, uh, and year two will, will be good. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that the... The next Kickstarter that that we do will be uh, it, that it that, that it will be um, like like Matt said earlier, it, it, it was very down to the wire as getting the funding um, yeah. in the other one. So fingers crossed, in the next one we can get the funding quicker and then move on to stretch goals because that's something we didn't really get to do mm-hmm. in the first campaign, and that would be something I'd quite like to do for the second one. 
I, th- I think as well, though, you don't do yourself quite enough credit. I know that you've always been a, a almost horrifically modest man, but I think <laughs> that the, um, the, I mean, the reason, obviously, I mean, I took a punt on editing in the same way that everybody took a punt on, you know, back in the book. But the mm. thing is, is that um, I think that with with anybody, especially with a social media presence, yeah, you can have articles that you wrote as a teenager, you know, um, twenty years ago, and yeah, it, your writing's not honed, etc. But uh, it's the way that you carry yourself online and the way that you carried yourself online back then when you were promoting it. You could really see that there was a, a genuine desire just to get it done. I mean, you're not you, one thing that must be said that we, we always need to say about everything when it comes to Kickstarter is that um, you haven't done anything for profit here. If anything, mm. you're going to lose something, you know. Um, certainly, if you, if you count time as money, you've yeah. probably bankrupted yourself. But I think yeah. that the, <laughs> at, at, at the same time, you know, it's a passion project. In the same way that, you know, my, my website, um, I do that for free. You know, um, mm. admittedly, that's been part of the reason why I haven't done anything on it since October. But <laughs> life gets in the way, you know, and it's it's certainly not for one to try. And I think that, you know, you've... You've done something solely because you want to do it. You haven't done it to chase money. You haven't done it for prestige or anything. You, you know, you just love what you do, and I think that mm. that shows in the book. But also, it, it it will hopefully, and you know, to anybody who's who's listening, really, I just hope that year two is treated with the same you know, reverence as year one was, because there's always that difficulty with promoting a year two or a year three that if you weren't involved in year one. Mm-hmm. then, you know, what's, what's the incentive there? And obviously we've discussed this and the idea that, you know, obviously you've got extra copies or you've got the digital copies, that kind of thing, or you mm-hmm. can reprint and all that. And I really I really hope that it that people, like I said, tr- treat it with that same, you know, desire as they did the first time around because it really is a special book, <laughs> what's come out of this. And, you know, it is, it is completely, completely filled with love, not only from yourself, but also all the... Um, the, the contributors um, and uh, I think it's also tribute to, to Sandy you know the, the, the way that he's mm-hmm. actually put together such a simple yet attractive format to the yeah. point that I'm I'm even considering if, if I, I mean I'm maybe not now given how much time it took you to get this one done <laughs> but I, I really I really want to do one on the Wii U because that's my Dreamcast you know, it's mm. a it's a console that was so horrifically underrated mm. um, that did have a lot to it. But uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. I just I'll get year two and year three out of the way first, and then we'll go from there. Well, yeah, absolutely. And if you ever do do a Wii U one, um, I'd be up for helping you out because I'm I'm a big Wii U. You there? Yeah, I can't speak. I'm a big Wii U fan <laughs> as well. <laughs> so yeah, it's definitely it was would, it was the new Dreamcast. Absolutely, <laughs> um, I would I would absolutely adore for you to do that. That would be a really good little project, I think. Yeah. Um, but, but just speaking of contributors quickly well, first of all um like matt's kind of like gushed a little bit there but yeah i i couldn't have done as good of a job as i did if i didn't have matt to help and to kind of oh, i mean for you. one thing i have a, a serious problem with tents apparently and everything that matt has <laughs> ever had to edit from me has <laughs> has had like the worst um like i, I just couldn't i couldn't grasp the concept um but to kind of put it into perspective what what matt did is it's when i first started to think about doing this all i was going to do was just write the book and you know obviously i would get people to proof it and just go over it and make sure it's fine but it hadn't even occurred to me that i needed somebody to actually edit it so that it, it kind of made sense mm. throughout so that it kind of had a, a you know a, 
it kind of pulled through the entire way the entire book if that makes sense um the, the text was the same um consistent and when matt approached me i was like oh crap yeah i need that and um and you know matt had all this other work under his belt that he'd done and you know he's very accomplished and um the, one of the first things he, he said was well we'll apply like a style guide to it and i was like oh what's that <laughs> like having no idea what any of this stuff was <laughs> and i was like oh thank god that i've got you on board because otherwise this book it, it would have been you know just as um made with love as as without matt obviously because it's it's a passion of mine but matt kind of took it to the next level in terms of the writing and made sure that it was um you know that the style was correct throughout that the grammar was correct the tenses were correct importantly um and that not, not only my writing was consistent but everybody else who contributed was consistent um throughout and it told a you know it, it told a story that was um interesting too like you know not only was he correcting grammar and um all that kind of stuff um but he was making sure that it read correctly and read mm. well and was interesting um so i think matt deserve I, I can't clap in this microphone but if i could i would give matt a round of applause for what he <laughs> no, did because it was amazing that is absolutely wonderful of you to say i think that's the nicest compliment i've ever received and i have a fiance so um, <laughs> thank you very much for that it's um, it's you know it's it's i think the thing is, again, just to go back to it and just to return the, the gushing compliments, not only to yourself, but to the contributors. <laughs> At the end of the day, is that, you know, you, people who love games aren't always the most, uh, aren't always the best writers. Writing, <laughs> writing, is, writing is simply, a, it's a skill. I genuinely believe that, you know, some people, they just get it. You know, I've always just kind of gotten it. That's why it's my forte, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm as, I'm as, I'm as adept speaking through words on a page as I am through talking shite like I do in podcasts like this, so, you know, because I'm a professional northern gobshite, quite frankly. But <laughs> I think it's not, um, you know, I've got to be that stereotype, haven't I? But I think that it's, um, it is difficult to really communicate a lot of things. Um, a lot of people, especially in passion projects, they tend to take things a lot more personally um because it's their thing they don't want to ever be corrected because it's their thing you know mm. you i couldn't possibly get it never had that from andrew at all and that was the wonderful thing is that you know sometimes you know if i had to be blunt and say i just i just think we just need to lose this paragraph it's it's interesting but it, it detracts from it and we need to save a paragraph because obviously it's not just word count it's layout it's things like that when you get it into mm. a book format it's got the fit it's not like online when you can just like when I write for Forbes, I could write a review that could be 200 words or 2,000 words, and they're not going to stop me. But with a book, you've got to be like, well, you know, we've got to make a certain weight so that we can get it sent out at a certain price, you know, because that was all taken into account with the Kickstarter. Um, but on top of that, it's just how it fits, how it looks. Obviously, there was a lot of great care taken to to get it there. Um, from the design perspective, which also, again, just coming back to that, is, you've got to give them a lot of credit for, for how they arranged that. But um, by the same token, um, you have to, you know, you have to make a lot of sacrifices um, as a writer. And an editor is there just to be the arsehole. I, I was there to be, just be the king of the arseholes of just being like, no, actually, no, no, stop talking about that. Stop writing it in present tense. The game was released 20 years ago. Stop writing it in present tense. This 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 arena is is has been developed years and years ago. You know, you can't... It, it's it's such an odd one. Um, But I, um, 
I like to think that you know you just teach people stuff along the way. In the same way that I learned a lot about the Dreamcast, it was nice to impart a bit of wisdom on the way back. So that obviously mm. it, it does make that journey for year two and year three that hell of a lot easier because we know the format now. We know exactly yeah. that you know we have to italicize game names, but we yeah. don't italicize the titles of magazines. You know, it's that, that yeah. weird style guide that you develop, like you say. So. Yeah, sorry, I, I'm I'm ranting now. I apologise. That's <laughs> fine. When you were talking, it brought one thing to mind, which was my um, my insistence on trying to shoehorn an explanation of PAL and NTSC into the book somewhere. <laughs> oh God! That was oh hilarious. God! Everyone knows <laughs> what PAL is. <laughs> it was. I was, I was trying actually... to do it for like I was like, well, what if somebody's reading this? Because PAL and NTSC isn't really a thing anymore. No. Like you don't think about it at no. all. And I was like, okay, well, what if somebody's reading it now who who's never had to think of that? And I keep mentioning PAL. And so I think I, I, I can't remember where I put it, but I put it in somewhere and we had to cut it. So I tried to shoehorn it into the Power Stone retrospective. Yeah. I don't know why. It had no, it had no place in there. Oh, and uh, and Matt was like, no, no, this doesn't belong here at all. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> my, where can I put it? And he's like, you don't need to put it anywhere. That's like, my, no. And my, I kept trying to shoehorn it in in loads of different places. In the end, it was like, oh, fine, God. okay, I'll just, I'll leave it. It's fine. You, my favourite bit as well was when you, when you actually explained what PAL stood for. And I was like, I have known the phrase PAL for 20, 30 years, and I have never known what Palace stood for. Now I've finally <laughs> learned. And you put it in brackets as well, and it was kind of like, it was like, it was like this paragraph that was about 200 words long explaining what Pal meant. And I'm like, oh, God. Oh, never mind. But yeah, no, we, we got around that in the end. <laughs> I always used to think um... of NTSC as the reason why like American TV shows looked blurrier. That was literally my breakdown of that. Yeah. I mean that's pretty true, but yeah. yeah. What does um, what does yeah. PAL stand for? So, technical. <laughs> what does PAL stand for? Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. I'd have to look it up. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so we'll Google it, and uh, <laughs> I'll tell you later. I'm googling it right now. Oh, okay. I just tried to Google Google there for a second. I could have, <laughs> sorry, I could have broken the internet. I apologise. P A L. Wait, we've faked Philippine Airlines. Oh, okay. there you go. <laughs> <Got> it. <Right. laughs> no, it's, um, it's is it phase alternating phase alternating line? Uh, okay, yeah, that's yeah, it. That's I'll do. <laughs> is that right? So yeah. yeah, and I mean that the, the only thing I was trying to explain in the book was that because I kept mentioning PAL, um, and obviously I, I'm kind of referring to when games released in the EU a lot and they release differently in Australia, but Australia is also part of the PAL territory because they mm. it uses the yeah. same. Uh, TV system, etc., etc. So every time I mentioned PAL, I was kind of mentioning it in terms of when games released. I think, and I was like, "Oh, people are going to get confused because mm. I'm not. I'm only mentioning the EU. I'm not mentioning Australia." And Matt was like, "I don't think anybody's really going to care. <laughs> like, it's fine." <laughs> um, so, to be fair, was, no one uh, cared about Australia back in those days. So, <laughs> very true. Um, which I make a point of in the book as well. Unfortunately, um, the, poor, the poor fuckers in New Zealand who didn't even get the internet either on the uh, on the console. Oh, I'm yeah. presuming in real life until about the mid 2000s <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah oh dear but, um, well, one thing I was going to say actually obviously you guys you and uh, Stephen Rich have been asking questions I was going to ask the both of you because you both contributed a retrospective to the book uh, which you <clears throat> contributed to um, how did you find the uh, the experience of kind of going back to those games and then writing about them for the book yeah it was it was just really really fun I mean Toy Commander was a game I actually had to go like back to, whereas Crazy Taxi was something I was still occasionally playing. So I think Crazy Taxi 
it was much easier to kind of formulate my thoughts. I mean, it, it's got... It has more of an impact to me, that game, than Toy Commander did, so I think it just came way more easily when it came to putting it onto you know, paper, if you will. Um, mm. Yeah, Toy Commander was nice, because, I mean... It was yeah. It was nice going back to a game where I had less memories of. I was fond of it back in the time, but I'd never revisited. So mm. that was really really fun. It was just it was the first time I've ever done anything of that kind. I mean, I've I've written like reviews for like Switch Island, so obviously you know actual current games, but actually writing about a game, but also kind of looking at it from a bit of a more of a yeah, from memory, from more of a sentimental standpoint, yeah, I I do tend to write with my heart a lot more, mm. um, so that was a lot more fun and it, yeah, it made the whole process a lot easier. So mm. I just really, really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it, and it's something I would like to do more of, whether it's for you know, years two or three or uh, any other publication. So no, I really, you know, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I also um, would like to thank you for um, giving me the opportunity to write something as well. It, it, it's 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 been a really this whole experience actually, the, both the book and um, all the other DCY stuff that we do. It, it's been a really interesting exercise in exploring what that period of gaming meant to me because obviously I knew that it did mean a great deal, but but looking back at Soul Calibur and writing in detail about that and, and talk, talking about why I loved it at the time, it's been a really illuminating exercise for me because I think in many ways our current our current gaming world is, is probably another golden age, I think. It's been so good the last sort of 10, year, 10 years or so. Um, but it's been really interesting to go back and, 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 and learn where a lot of the current really good trends started and a lot of them started with things like the Dreamcast. Um, so it's been mm-hmm. a really it's been a really illuminating time. Like I've learned that the Dreamcast um, kind of straddles this period of my life where I, you know, we were burgeoning adults when the Dreamcast came out, right? And we mm-hmm. were understanding mm-hmm. that it was okay to continue to like games even though we were, you know, by some people's standards, growing out of them. The Dreamcast showed us that it was okay to keep going and to keep enjoying them because here's this super cool console with really great games on it that feels really next gen and really classy and and uh yeah so the dreamcast was more important to me than i thought it was before i started writing um this stuff yeah now i'm rambling sorry i apologize <laughs> we're all rambling <laughs> yeah i mean uh, yeah further what further to what steve said i mean just writing about it and those it was covering those formative years in our lives whether it's things like relationships movies tv music games like when you were a kid I think find in adulthood now you don't appreciate things don't appreciate things in the same way they're just there whereas I think when you were kind of between like 16 19 years old mm-hmm. things meant a lot more I mean Dreamcast came along at a time where I was getting more invested in the success of the console the marketing campaigns it wasn't just like oh a toy or game it was like yeah. like it was when yeah. I had the Mega Drive it was this mm-hmm. consumer item that you were actually behind I mean the first time yeah the the Barbara ad came on in the cinema. I was just, I jumped out of my seat. I was so excited for a gaming commercial. More excited than I was for the movie that it was attached to. And <laughs> writing about games from the era, it just took me back. To, and I was thinking about other things that were happening in my life at that time. So that was really, really special. Especially writing about two, you know, one launch title in particular. It mm. transported me back to that day I actually got the console. And yeah, that's just, yeah, it really is a lot of fun to write. 
I, th- I think as well, just going off the back of what you guys were saying, obviously I submitted all of your submissions and um, it is that kind I'm of fault to the past. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 honestly, no, quite, quite the opposite because it's one of those things where like um, you all have a very specific style and it, you can you can always tell the difference between writers immediately. Um, like, for example, my fa- my favourite quote from the book, and certainly no offence to you, Andrew, or to, to you, Rich, but... Um, it's that um, uh, what you said, Steve, about Soul Calibur, which is um, Soul Calibur Two was one of my favorite games, and I had Soul Blade as well, but I never played Soul Calibur because it was, mm-hmm. if I remember rightly, it was a Dreamcast exclusive for a long time. Yeah. Oh, was it? Yeah. It was just was it just Dreamcast in the end? It was, wasn't mm. it? Yeah, sequels yeah, came. Yeah, got ported well. later. That's right. Yeah, because I played it in arcades. And mm. it was just not that, and we ended up using it as a pull quote because um, one of the things, obviously, when you have the designers, is that um, they, they pull what they think is right, but it's not not 100% correct and you know in the same way that I wouldn't know which screenshot to use where you know it's just one of those things it's you play <laughs> your strengths but it was what you said Steve about how oh, you said that uh, some people at the time criticised the game for being too button mashy but I only ever heard this complaint from people after they'd lost I fucking pissed myself laughing when I read that because I really associated with that I always had that when I used to play fighting games or, or racing games or anything like that um, and that was really good but on, on the, by the same token you know uh, Rich when you were talking about Crazy Taxi Crazy Taxi is just it's it's a game that has left an indelible mark on so many people and me being one of them you know I played that in arcades and then I got it for the PlayStation 2 and you know I was always BD Joe despite the fact that he had the turning circle of a ship and it was just it was it was it was a wonderful game to play but still had that you could see the passion from when you were talking about it you know when you when you mentioned all i want which is you know the thing that always sticks in my head or the fact that you you, you mentioned you know like kfc or tower records or feeler you know they were there i completely forgotten about them but that that's what made the game almost more legitimate you know like that capitalist tinge that kind of you know really brought the most out of the realism of the game despite the fact that you know you were catapult in a taxi around a, a thickly, you know, horrific city that was based on San Francisco, and I think it's just, you know, uh, it was it was really good to to get your guys' input on that, you know, and I think as well, um, specifically, obviously, the readers will, will know this when they read the digital or physical copies that are coming. Um, yours are two of the bigger ones and um, you know, much in the same way that I would I would rate the uh, Andrew's Power Stone piece. When you get that extra length to to work with, it's mm. just so mm-hmm. so many memories come out and so many mm-hmm. insights, so many, and, and it's so purely personal. And I think that it's it's the reason why I've always loved Game Tripper and and seeing what people submit to that is just you just get a completely new take on something. You know, I only had two small ones myself. I did House of the Dead two and Sega Rally uh, two. And um, neither of them are particularly liked, but at the time, <laughs> they were so cutting edge, and they they had they had their strengths. Me seeing Sega Rally Two for the first time was just utterly mind blowing. Um, mm. House of the Dead Two, not so much because I played it on, in the arcades and because everybody had. But um, being able to impart my own personal take on that was was something else. But um, like I say, going back to the editing side, it was it was an absolute joy to read the likes of yourselves and everybody else and just get those personal views and insights and what you're saying, you know, you've been 16 years old and thinking about girls and school and all that kind of shit that, you know, we still have to worry about now. Sons of the school. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really enjoyed reading uh, yours as well, um, Matt, because they were just so, um, what's the what's the right word for it? They, they were, they were Caustic. Cutting. 
<laughs> yeah, but, the, but in a really good way like um i i enjoyed the fact that maybe you had these very specific memories of the games but they weren't necessarily necessarily the best memories and that's the thing about I, di- I didn't want the whole book to be that just this like oh look how look how fantastic the dreamcast was look how great this game was not all the games were great like godzilla oh. generations i slated because it's fucking horrendous um <laughs> but, it, but you have, people have to remember that it, although it's like this amazing console and um you know it it really is it had some fantastic games but you know it's the same as any console it, it had its share of, of shit as well um mm. and also people have different opinions on things too so although some people may have actually absolutely loved house of the dead too and, and i quite enjoyed it myself not everybody's going to and i think that was nice to have represented in the book the different people's thoughts and opinions and, and we got that as well in uh, in the backer retrospectives where um you know there's i think nine in total nine backers um contributed there um and we got some different opinions on games that i just wouldn't have even thought to put in the book yeah. um and i thought that was quite that was quite nice as well I think as well, just just to close off, just um, well, the one thing that actually unites the uh, the main ones that we've written about. So you know, obviously, Power Stone for Andrew, Rich with uh, Crazy Taxi, Steve with Soul Calibur, me with Sega Rally, and House of the Dead. These were all arcade ports. Mm-hmm. These were all games that in in nowadays you you don't see these in on games consoles because why would you port an arcade game? to a games console um, because they were so limited and that was both the, the strength and the weakness of the Dreamcast at mm-hmm. the time you know they were they were all games that you know relied on you sticking a few more quid into the machine and you know were ultimately very short experiences aside from Soul Calibur which should have a story mode in it you know uh, Sega Rally 2 was obsessed with you know shackling you with time extensions you know when you just wanted to have a nice race you know mm-hmm. um, and uh, obviously you have the other ones you like your blue stingers and whatnot that were kind of you know trying something very different at the time but I think that um, you know growing up the excitement always came from the arcades and I think that it was probably the last console that ever really did that um, yeah. to, in my mind yeah and Casper says that in his interview as well how you know, he believes that's it's one of the the last ones, and how and how that was a difficulty for. It. I mean, it did have those bigger that those bigger experiences in the end. You know, you got your Shemu, you got Skies of Arcadia, you got those bigger console games. But the kind of bread and butter of the Dreamcast, almost like you say, was arcade ports, arcade titles, and um, I think, yeah, it was it was part of the reason that maybe it didn't do as well but also it was part of the reason why it was bloody great is because their experiences like you said that you just wouldn't have now on a console yeah um nothing so, nothing yeah. nothing has ever come close in my opinion to power stone no even now i don't even if they just if they just made a power stone remastered for the xbox one switch and mm-hmm. and ps4 I, I think i would just i'd die happy yeah i'd be happy same. you know just same. just it's, it's the new Shenmue, you know. People got really, really. Shenmue is shit, passionate. though. <laughs> oh, oh. Don't get Steve started. Yeah, I'm, just, just, I'm just. I'm just. We, we've we've had this. We've had this passive, passive argument on Twitter. But oh, <laughs> I've got Shenmue one and two set on my shelf, and it's still in its wrapper. And that is a testament to that game. <laughs> but, you know, can't wait to get on that forklift, lads. <laughs> <laughs> how many? How many? Can't wait to fight with timed buttons. <laughs> no, Shenmue. No, I'll, I'll, I'll take it back. As uh, caustic as you know, I like to be. Shenmue is a, is a great game, and it was it was so of its time though. <coughs> Much in the same way that you know, like Max Payne was the first one, which I, I also think is shit now. I loved it when I was a kid, but oh, it's out, it's out of the play. 
I don't know. Um, is, Shen, is Shenmue 3 any good? Sorry, I know that this is about a book, but is Shenmue 3 any good? <laughs> um, I've played um, four or five hours of it, and so far it's very good, but it's it's very Shenmue, so if you didn't like Shenmue originally, you probably yeah. won't like Shenmue 3. Fair enough. Have you been stacking shells for like four hours then? The <laughs> uh, not yet, but I have no. been wandering aimlessly around a village trying to find people, so I'm looking in drawers. He's still waiting for his job interview yet. He's actually got to He's <laughs> <laughs> waiting for the call. Brilliant. <laughs> Oh god! Sorry, um, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll not it, drop the, the elbow anymore. <laughs> the other thing that I kind of wanted to bring up as well is, and I'm kind of I've got my copy of my book in front of me. Um, I, I almost feel like I need to do justice to everybody who is involved, and obviously we've spoken about most people so far. One person we haven't spoken about is um, I'll give a quick me- mention to Tristan who de- designed the website, who did an awesome job. I need to pay more attention to the website because it's got basically nothing on it right now, but he did an awesome job. Um, but the person yeah. I wanted to mention was um, Mahmood, who took mm. all of the screen grabs for the games in the book, um, and he did a great job. Like, Incredible he, job. Uh, I gave him a huge list of games, and I was like, I need screenshots. I need like multiple screenshots of all these games in like the highest quality you can get them. Um, and this was somebody that I found um, through Twitter. Um, I kind of put a call out for somebody to help because I tried to do it myself, and I was getting nowhere. Like I bought like specialist equipment, but I'm just not tech savvy enough with that stuff with that kind of image stuff to to do it justice so i was like right rather than me make a complete pig's ear of it and have awful images in the book i'll find somebody who can do it and so uh, mahmood um kind of put his hand up basically on twitter and was like, oh, i can do that um and i've just gone to him like throughout the last six months or so and going i need pictures of this i need pictures of this kind of annoyed him every now and again um for pictures but he's done a fantastic job and all of the screen grabs in there um I just I think they're, they're, they're really great uh, they're such good quality and um, yeah I'm really pleased that I, I've chosen not to do them myself mm. and to get somebody more experienced and uh, technically minded to do them for me they do so. they do look really good but it's something that you absolutely mm. take for granted as you flick through the book especially these days where yeah. it's so easy to get a hold of this stuff but obviously you know you forget that it wasn't you know wasn't always like that um, do you know do you know no. how he did go about getting all these screenshots um, so I mean, he took them from. So he has a, a Dreamcast, um, but he doesn't take them from the actual game. He has a, G, a GDEMU. Is it GDEMU? Yeah. GDEMU. I think it was. Yeah. GDEMU, which is basically um, you kind of install it. You, you take the, the disk drive out of the Dreamcast and install this thing, and it runs games from SD card. Um, so therefore, he had access to basically ah. any and all games, um, which most people do these days. You know, um, it's just it's just a, a done thing if you can afford the mod anyway. That's what people do. Um, so he did that and then he ran it through i mean it's in the book it's in some page five of the book um he he ran it through um like uh, uh the vga output but then he ran it through this i think it's called frame meister mm-hmm. which yeah. then com- converts the signal to a, a higher resolution um and he basically did it that way he upskilled um, so. at the 1080p didn't he yeah that's it right. was was it junker hq that, that's um, right yeah that's where provided he provided the from. profile settings yeah that's right yeah so yeah he did a really good job and and again that's just something i would never even think to do no. i'd have just taken pictures directly from the dreamcast and, and be like yeah that's fine <laughs> but he wouldn't have been it goes back um, to that interview with casper and, and another, again i think briefly. another thing to quickly um, mention as well the... is um sorry go on no i was just going to say quickly it goes back to the interview you had with casper field about the sheer science of actually having to take screenshots from games back in the day yeah. like you just took it yeah. for granted by picking up a magazine so he's like postage stamp picture of a game that you want to play and it just didn't realize what they actually had to endure yeah absolutely crazy it's crazy I, I love that little story from casper about how they actually um did something to change the way that magazine 
um, magazines were designed, gaming magazines were designed. I, th I didn't. That, that's another thing. Going back to Steve's question ages ago about things I learned. That's something else I learned. I did not know that that's 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 what happened. I, I just assumed that you know you could take stills like that, or the the company would send you stills like that. Mm. I didn't realise they were kind of going through all this massive amount of hard work to get screenshots, and then the fact that DC UK actually managed to find a way to do it so well that they could you know they could run screenshots half the size of the page rather than like you know like you say um, rich like like a postage mm. stamp size they used to have um and that was really that was really amazing that that's something that that came out of the dreamcast almost that it kind of it was the dreamcast that helped bring that to the fore yeah uh, i thought that's pretty cool it's it's funny that though because from my experience of doing like forbes and reviews for forbes it's still a problem that you know i mean mm. 20 years on it's still a problem like i, I, I do most of my reviews for xbox one but there's a lot of games that if you go to do a capture screenshot, it'll just capture the menu. Or it will say, you can't capture a screenshot because they'll mm. just you know stop you from doing it. But then you look at the images that are provided by the actual companies, and they're mm. all terrible. They're all the, the best-looking ones possible. You know, They're all stills from a trailer. It's not mm. actual gameplay. It's, you know, and it's, it's so I can imagine, you know, if it's, it was a problem now... Thinking yeah. back then, you know, just just to get the images, I, I seem to remember like PlayStation magazine, even PlayStation magazine back in the day, would take photos of people playing the arcade versions in the early days, and wow. it's just you know, and you just think, wow! I remember the Ridge Racer review from a really early Essential PlayStation, which was a, a, a spin-off of um, it might be Ridge Racer Revolution actually, um, uh, but it was a spin-off of official PlayStation magazine. It's done by Future as well. It was their lifestyle, even more lifestyle-y one, um, mm. which is something that we do actually come into with the advertising for uh, Dreamcast in the book, is that, you know, they try to go for the PlayStation style of, you know, that very strong lifestyle brand as opposed to just focus on the games and all that. But even yeah. then, you know, in like 98, 99, they were, they were taking photos and clearly, you know, like there wasn't even digital cameras, you know, it was, it was very, and if there were, they were about one megapixel. It was, you know, it's, you get a fool's errand, but it shows you how little things change. Yeah, it's true. And one, one thing I was, was going to say a bit earlier was, um, I mean, looking at um, the Power Stone retrospective, um, and, and Matt mentioned it as well, we got the uh, VMU screenshots, and that was something I didn't think I'd actually even be able to do. I was, I was, uh, I, that kind of came to me quite late on. Um, we we're putting it together, and I was thinking, there's this whole side of the Dreamcast that we're not representing, which is uh, the VMU games, um, and there were quite a few um, in the first kind of batch of games that came out for the Dreamcast. I think it kind of petered out as you, as it got further on. Not not that many games actually took. Um, took the VMU and, and you know used its full potential, um, but Power Stone was one of the first games that did. And um, for the retrospective, I thought well, it'd be really nice to have screenshots of that, you know, those those games, because um, uh, you know you can find Power Stone um, screenshots online really easily. You know, you just type into Google, you'll find Power Stone screenshots, but you don't really find stuff about the VMU mini games. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I thought that would be really interesting to get, and um, the process. Name of that, all three. Know, but... Name all three of them right now. Um, mm, no. Ayami Shuriken Training. Yes, one. That's one. Fal one out of three. Falcon's Aerial Adventure. That's two out of three. Uh, Gun Rocks Gun Gun Slots. Yeah! I have the book in front of me. I cheated. Oh, you <laughs> absolute arsehole. <laughs> but... I, love, I love the phrase Gun Rocks Gun Gun Slots. It's just... If I can, can I just change say my a... name legally in the future, I'm, I think it's going to be that. <laughs> so, my my, my fiancé can be Mrs. Slots. Oh dear! Oh, 
Oh god, I didn't even think that one through. <laughs> Sorry, let's let's move on as quickly. Rich, what were you going to say quickly? No, I was just going to say very quickly. Um, as of Tuesday, I'm going to be a proud over proud owner of Power Stone, which I'm really excited about. It's the first hey. game, like obviously we've been discussing those games. I say I've not really played or not played at all. That mm. I'm actually going to pick it up. So this is the first of many. So. Very we excited. are closer Amazing. to uh, we're closer to realizing that feature where we talk about games that Rich hasn't played before that he manages to play. <laughs> yes, we're gonna have to do that's the first. This is the first game we're gonna do that with. We're gonna talk about yeah. Power Stone in a in a podcast, Rich, and you're gonna actually be able to talk about yeah. what you like about it. So <laughs> it's gonna re-record all the ones we've already recorded. Just pretend, yeah, I played it. Yeah. <laughs> Dub over the bits where you yeah. say you haven't played Just it. George yeah. Lucas, it'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I don't know what else is it. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to say in particular. Um, I guess the only other thing that we kind of haven't touched on as such um, is um, something that I kind of kept secret from the backers. Uh, anyway, I think I, I let you guys in on the secret um, as it was going on, but getting David Kelsall um, into the book and his um, EMAP pitch for the official Dreamcast magazine. Mm. That was something that I I couldn't have even imagined when I first started the book that yeah. I'd be able to get something like that. Literally, nobody has seen that for 20 years. I, I showed it to Tom, Tom Charnock, who also got interviewed for the book, who is awesome. He helped fact check and proof the book as well when we got to the final stages just to make sure it was factually accurate because yeah, he really knows good. so much about the Dreamcast. It's unreal. Um, and I kind of didn't didn't think about it at the time but i was like i i should run these past tom to make sure that you know they're actually you know have i actually got a scoop here or is, are, are these widely available and i just haven't come across them in my google searches um and as i ran them past him and and he's like yeah no i've never seen these before and i was like thank, thank god for that <laughs> like i've actually got something that you haven't seen which is which is quite cool um but yeah they've just been sat in his attic for 20 years and i think that was really special yeah, that yeah. i you know that i managed to get those that's in. crazy that's crazy yeah, that was a genuine shock of that. Um, yeah, just being someone that loves the magazine so much. I just, yeah, that was news to me. When you dropped that bob on me and Steve, I was like, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that, was, that was awesome. I mean, the fact it wasn't even just like he told you about it. You actually had images and actual assets you got to use. Like, here's the, mm. here's the front cover of our pitch. I was like, oh, <laughs> it's actual, yeah. you know, hard proof that this was a thing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And... Um... I mean, a, a couple of things about it. If you if you don't know, um, look in the eye of the woman on the front of the cover, and there's actually a Dreamcast swirl in her eye, mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah. which we got told by uh, by Dave. So cleverly um, done. Yeah, it's really good. Um, might be a little bit more difficult to pick up on the prints. Obviously, it's it's a copy of the original copy, um, then put into the book. So it's it's not mm. you know the best quality it could be, but it's the best quality we could get. Um, so yeah, but that's pretty cool. And it's there are more pages. He has more pages than that we were able to show obviously this uh, um the size of the book we had to keep it to a certain size for weight restrictions and stuff yeah. so i could only give it four pages in total um and i wanted to have a little interview with david in there because i think it was important to know where he came from and and how that came to be um so there's like there's the four images of the inside we've got the cover and then we've got a small version of an alternate cover that they made um at the end of the interview um but i think i must have another 10 images so at some point in the future um on the dcy website i'll probably put those up and share those um not just yet but at some point in the future hopefully so awesome awesome so really Um, i guess i mean beyond you know possibility of books two and years two and three where do you want to take um 
Dreamcast years into the future. You know, obviously you're going past, uh, you know, physical print. Where would you like to see it, you know, expand into? Ooh. I, I, when I first started the book, I had no idea that I'd do a podcast. And in fact, <laughs> I didn't even do podcasts at all. Um, it was how did I get, I, it was because I was uh, people started to ask if I wanted to come on their podcast to talk about the book, and so I think I went on to um, the Dreamcast Junkyard. I went on to Daryl Baxter. He has the Pal Keys podcast. I went to his podcast. Um, I did a couple of interviews with the um, Arcade Attack, who are awesome. And then obviously um, you, Rich, on the, the Switch Island. This is how I met you. Was that you talked about the book on one of the episodes of um, the Switch Island yeah. podcast, and um, it was like i think we we were talking on twitter weren't we and you said you were gonna mention it and i was like oh that's really cool and then i kind of listened to the episode and i was like wow that's that's cool that somebody's mentioned the book on on a podcast that's awesome and um and that kind of started uh, matt mentioned love affair earlier <laughs> that started our love affair <laughs> and my love affair with the uh, switch island um and yeah and then actually getting to come on and speak to you guys and uh, so yeah, I didn't even imagine that I'd have something like a podcast or a website when I started the book, and now I have both. Yes, the website needs a bit of work. Unfortunately, I've just not had the time. But yeah, I'd like to do more podcast stuff. Um, beyond that, though, I don't. I don't know. The only other thing I'd, I'd definitely love to do, and we've been talking about how print media in general and magazines have kind of not. They've not gone, but they their, their importance has dwindled because of the internet. And um, one thing I'd probably love to do. Um, besides more books is, is some kind of magazine um, and actually get that kind of feeling back um, you know whether that's to do with retro games or modern games I don't know um, but yeah some kind of magazine would be pretty cool I think that'd be awesome that'd be awesome especially with obviously I know it's probably got quieter over the last few years but there's still is you know somewhat of a Dreamcast scene out there there are still yeah. games being released so yeah absolutely that would be awesome that would, it would really be awesome mm. so yeah, I think that's probably it. Steve, do you have any other questions? No, no, I think that's it. Um, I just, I think you've done a, a brilliant job of the book, Andrew. Um, I think you should be very proud of yourself. And uh, Matt as well, you've also done uh, a brilliant job too. So thanks a lot, you guys. Thank you very much. Thank you very no, much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you so Can much. Can I just, before, before we end, I did, so I put a quick shout out on Twitter to see if we've got any questions from other people we got one so i think it would be rude not to read it out uh, so lewis, lewis cox over from uh, the dreamcast junkyard um said what was the best game you discovered while writing the book and uh, what was the best game you revisited um so i mean from my perspective the best game that i revisited was power stone I, I revisit that game every so often anyway but getting to revisit it again for the purpose of writing about it was amazing um but in terms of stuff that i discovered um armada is probably the one that i discovered that i just had no idea about i I kind of knew that it was an american only game and i was like well i need to cover something that only came out in america um as part of it because i thought that would be quite nice to do and so i bought armada and i was like oh actually this is this is not bad i mean it's a bit controls a bit shit now because you know one analog stick and it's uh it's Mm. essentially what should be a twin stick shooter Mm -hmm. but doesn't have two sticks um and it has rpg elements and stuff but it's just it surprised me um that that existed and i didn't know about it very much until that point um so that was pretty cool um i don't know matt did you were there any games that you kind of came across as part of this (laughs) so my my favorite by a mile um and i only played it for half an hour because it kept on crashing my laptop um, is I got um, an emulated version of Remania 2 or 3, <laughs> which is, honestly, it's like a fever dream after having a stroke. 
It is just, <laughs> it is, you are basically throwing ping pong balls at, like, uh, an absolute nerd in a, in a room, and it is just, it's the, one of the most surreal things, but it is utterly beautiful. It is, <laughs> it's such, it's such a Dreamcast game. Like, you yeah. couldn't, is it, is he, is he called Neji, Neji? Is the main character so. in it, and it's just, you know, it, it, it's just, I, I, I'm not even gonna, I'm not gonna dwell on it because I, I can't even begin to describe it. If anybody can get hold of it, it is one of the most ridiculous <laughs> games. Um, there was one that I relived um, via mobile actually for my sins um, is Revolt um, oh, because yeah. I grew up with that on the PlayStation as well. And I forgot how good a game it was actually. It's a good little game. It's a good little idea. It's it's not great. Um, you know the likes of mashed and micro machines on either side of the spectrum would would you know do better, but it was mm. it was a lovely little game. And then obviously House of the Dead too. I, I saw that in the arcade the other week, and uh, when I was at arcade club in Leeds, and I just thought, actually, you know yeah. what, I'm going to replay that. And it is honestly the the, the worst writing I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. It's just I've never seen somebody less. Yeah, no, I've never seen somebody less affected by the the on, oncoming hordes of zombies. By oh no, I'll come and get you. Yeah, and then yeah. literally <laughs> saunter towards and zombies. There are know, people help me. There, are, yeah, there are people <laughs> reading reading that script clearly with zero context or direction because they're totally misinterpreting yeah. it and going, no, no, help me. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think that's what the writer intended. Like <laughs> I think I think I, I think I touch on it in the, in my review of it. It's just you know it, it makes um, the Resident Evil One script look like positively Shakespearean in comparison. <laughs> that you know, wait, don't open that door. You know, it's that kind of <laughs> oh Jill sandwiches. You know, it's just uh. oh. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the one that I really want to try out though, um, and going off it was it was yours, Rich, wasn't it? Toy Commander. Yes. I mean that that game sounds amazing, I, I, yeah, I, I, and it wasn't released anywhere else either, was it? It was no. a DC exclusive. Mm. I just games like that just oh, fascinate me, utterly fascinate me. Mm. Absolutely, it's like kind of premise. I was just going to say the first two games that um, that you mentioned there, Matt, were ones from Backer Retrospectives. So it was, I, I think it was, it's really cool that we included those because they've yeah. just kind of set off in as these. Uh, you know, wanting to play these little games that we'd never even heard of before, and that was the kind of the point, which is quite cool. Yeah, yeah, it's like, it's just that extra level of inspiration, really, because I would never have known that Room Mania existed at no. all, and it's such an odd game, but yeah, fantastic stuff. Yeah, so thank you, backers. <laughs> mm. Sorry, Rich, go on. No, I was just going to say quickly about Toy Commander. It's a kind of an idea, a premise. I'm surprised it hasn't been revisited. I mean, I know no cliche is not around anymore, but I mean, recently there's been, was it, um, Hypercharge Unboxed? And that's a game that, it, I know it's a squad based FPS, but it really mm-hmm. kind of reminded me of Toy Commander in the loosest terms. Yeah. And yeah, I just find it mind boggling, especially with the technology we have now, the environments they could make in that kind of setting would just be fantastic. So yeah, I don't know. It's, I'm surprised there wasn't even a Toy Commander two in the Dreamcast. You know, another developer picked it up, another publisher. It just boggles the mind. Mm, absolutely. But yeah, so that's I think that's it, guys. So no, thank you very much for that. It's been a really really awesome chat. It has. Thank you very much. Thanks for um, thanks for hosting and uh, and asking the asking the hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> If uh, if people haven't got a hold of their copy of the book yet, or they want to learn more or whatever, where, how, how do they go about doing that? 
complain. Um, so um, anybody who's backed by Kickstarter, obviously you'll have your digital copies already. Physical copies are going to be sent out. I don't know when this podcast is going to go out. At the moment, I'm waiting for physical copies mm-hmm. to come in. They are being printed um, and it will take me a good month <laughs> to send them all out. So if you haven't received yours by the end of, say, March, then let me know. <laughs> but otherwise, <laughs> it's fine. If you haven't backed yet, if you haven't bought through Kickstarter, then I am about to start pre-orders for the digital and physical copies. Um, and that'll be through Crowdox who very kindly took on the distribution of the um, the digital book for us. Um, so there's going to be a... Uh, I, I will post a link. Um, hopefully by the time this podcast comes up, uh, goes up, it will be available. So I'll post a link in the show notes. Um, and obviously you can find um, anything else about the book at Oddment84 on Twitter or at Dreamcast Years on Twitter as well. Um, yeah, so that's the best place to look, I guess. Awesome. Great. I do believe we're also on the, uh, the old Discord as well now, Andrew. Is that true? We are. We are on the Discord. Um, we have a lovely Discord community that's just started. It's it's uh, box fresh. Um, there's uh, plenty of things to to talk about in there. Uh, you can find the link um, in the back of the book. Um, all of our stuff, our socials are in the book itself. So if you've already got a copy, uh, flip to the back to the credit section, and you'll you'll see a link there. Otherwise, I'll try and remember. Fingers crossed to put a link to the Discord in the show notes as well. Awesome. Thank you. And um, Matt, where can we find you on the socials? Uh, I'm at Game Tripper UK, uh, so you can find me there talking nonsense about games from all of the time and uh, generally posting pictures of my dog. Uh, he's, he's a lovely dog. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, he is the bestest boy. <laughs> he's a good doggo. Um, I am considering actually. I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind just asking your opinion on this very quickly. Um, he's going to be turning one in a couple of uh, weeks, and he's currently known as Game Popper. But I'm wondering if I need to level him up to Game Doggo or just to keep him as Game Popper. So mm. yeah, it's a tough game one. Game Popper has a ring to it, isn't it? Does. It? I it does. Like game yeah. And I do, all, I all do like Game Doggo though as well. It's good, yeah. Isn't it? yeah, it's a tough one. That. It's a tough, it's a tough one. one. It is. But yeah, um, one thing I will say though is that um, yeah, Game Trip has been a little bit dormant since uh, October, sadly, just because life gets in the way. But um, I'm literally redesigning it um, uh, on Monday, funnily enough. So hopefully we'll be uh, have a better presence on the the web generally. Um, and also, the part of the reason that it's been held up is because Article One Hundred is the next article, and I have put it off and put it off because. I wanted to write about Sonic 2, and I didn't realise just how difficult that would be. <laughs> so um, that was the entire reason I set up the website, but there will be an alternative going up instead, um, which I'm also going to be writing just to get the uh, the, the show running. So that's at gametripper.co.uk, and uh, hopefully the redesign will be up in the next few days, and uh, normal service will resume. Lovely. Awesome. And Steve, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Steve Jack. Um, you can also uh, hear me uh, rambling on on the Dreamcast Years podcast. And I'm also known to occasionally loiter around the Switch Island as well. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at Dreamcast Barber. And just like Steve, you can find me on this fine podcast and rarely, maybe, on the Switch Island. <laughs> <laughs> I fall off the face of the earth, but I will be there occasionally, I promise. So. Good. But yeah, no, great guys. It's been fun. Thank you very much, and and thank you all again for for contributing to the book. It's been amazing, and uh, it's been fantastic to have you all be a part of it. No, thank you. It's yeah, been an absolute pleasure. It's been great to read it. It's been great, to, great to be a part of all of this. So, pleasure is all ours, Andrew. Thank you very much. Here, here. Thank you. And we will see you next time. It'll be on the OG, I believe, won't it? Indeed. Yes. Well, cool. Two thousand and one. 
Ooh, good year. Very good year. Yes. Very good year. Right. See you soon. Bye. 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 <laughs> I like how to get the one in at the end there, man. Bye. Enjoy one. I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the kind of dude that does the, you know, when everybody's clapping at the end of like this thing, and I'll always get the last clapping. So, you know.